Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. You are with Lyle and Minnie. Minnie, what are you thankful for this morning? You know what I'm real thankful for? My senses. So... Just going to give you some story time background for this one. On Saturday night, I um, was out with some friends. We, well, we were going to go stargazing. It was pretty cloudy. It was still nice to go. And one of the girls had brought like a little camp cooker. She's like, we'll make some hot drinks. I'm like, sweet. She makes it. She gives it to me. I just don't even think it's come from boiling on the thing, two in the cup, two in my hand. I just down that and so badly burnt my tongue. Holy heck. I, um, anyway, it was pretty painful. I had a very – you know when it goes numb, but then if you, like, eat anything, it it just it just hurts. That's all it does. So then it's okay today, but yesterday I just – anything I tried to eat, I was like, ah, my tongue. And I can't <laughs> really – Do the top of your roof, roof – the roof of your mouth as well? I think so, but it's mo- it was mostly numb, so mostly. I couldn't fully feel it, <laughs> oh, yeah. it was, until I had something, and then I was like, oh, nope, that's, un- that's uncomfortable. Um but yeah, anyway, so I'm just very thankful for like when I can actually just taste nice and normal. <laughs> and aren't you super thankful for the human body being oh, yeah. something that heals itself? Yeah, and really quite quickly. I mean, you think about that. If that was a piece of machinery, uh-huh. it's not going to fix itself. No. You're going to have to uh, cut that piece out and put a new piece in. You've got to take that tongue out and put a new tongue in there. You've got to go and source those parts. Imagine if our human body was like that. Imagine if our human body was like a piece of machinery and every time something got damaged, we had to go and replace it with something else. Yeah. No. Yep. How annoying would that be? Whereas our human body, it just, it just heals itself and away it goes again. I mean, um, not always, of course, but... It's but, amazing. but that's the idea. It's a, that's the idea, and yeah. it's amazing that it does. Oh, fully. And we have really no control over that. It's not a conscious effort. No, it that's right. It just kind of fits what it just, fits just, just kicks in and away it goes. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So, I'm going to tell you some good news stories, though. So, um, Tyler Skluzakic. Look, I don't know. Tyler, old mate Tyler, he's the son of a combat veteran, uh, lives in the US, and he his, he saw his father start to unravel as a result of recurring nightmares and he just wanted to help. So he was, he was a um, veteran uh, soldier, yep. came back and started having really bad night terrors sure. um, for years. And so it kind of all started a few years ago. Um, 2015, Tyler first uh, kind of got this idea in his noggin um, he was a senior at McAllister College in Minnesota and he particip- participated in a hackathon event in Washington, D.C., D- which basically was focused specifically on developing different apps to help people with various things like like this that his dad was going through. PTSD and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, hey, what can we do? Is there anything can we do? Can we develop apps to help? What could that look like? You know, what's the idea around this? And so it's actually – it's patterned after the intuitive count uh, – like, you know, service animals – how when they start to see the person they're with kind of having an experience with something, you know, like an anxiety attack or whatever, their kind of purpose is to kind of come, bring comfort. You know, it could just be nudge you, lick you on the face if it's a dog or whatever. Yep. Um, it's the same idea of how do we kind of interrupt this before it gets really bad. And so while um, his dad is sleeping, the idea and Tyler and his team came up with as a prototype was for an anti-night terror smartwatch app so that – the program detects the onset of nocturnal disturbances. So before the night, ke- my, no, the nightmare can really begin, it kind of sends a bit of a like pulse out or something, something to kind of just wake you up a little bit, but not fully. So it interrupts 
That's cool. Yeah. So I guess as a nightmare starts to begin, your heart rate goes up and that kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of senses that and yeah. just gives you a little bit of a. Like, yeah. Has he developed a snoring version? No, but I reckon you could. I, don't I think, think so. Yeah, I, I think so. Because I know people who do that. If someone starts to snore, you just give them a nudge and then they – And then they're <laughs> you know? fine. Yeah, and then they're fine. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. Obviously, Patrick, who is Tyler's dad, he was open to be a trial guinea pig for this. And, yeah, as I said, it started a couple of years ago and he has now got to the point where this algorithm is perfect, they reckon. Um and both father and son were just absolutely floored by the difference it made. Um, you know, he's, he's completely stopped having this and his dad says it's just little miracles for him that he doesn't have that at night. Because when you don't have a oh, good sleep, yeah, that affects no, your yeah. life. You oh, know? absolutely. And nightmares are horrific. I hate nightmares. The horrid things. Oh, absolutely. And it's crazy that your subconscious can kind of take you into a place that can be so impacting while yeah. you're sleeping. That's yeah. right. Like it's not even real. I'm not there. It's not. Uh-huh. But your brain tells you it is and that you are. Um, so I was just like, man, go you. And he he realised the potential for widespread, um, yeah, I guess dis- distribution of that. He has seen how much it's helped his dad, so he really wants to help someone else, um, whoever else needs it. And so he sold the app to an investor and they reckon it should be made available, I find this interesting, by prescription in the future. So it's something that can Yes. Be, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which I just think is interesting. I think- so I was reading a book a little while ago and I posted something about it on Facebook the other night. There were some really interesting quotes. It was just talking about how Christianity, the call of it is to go into the dark places in the world and to help people come from that. You know, so the call to faith, um, it's not a life free from risk. Like I'm not saying that that's what he's doing, but I just think it's a really practical picture of, hey, we're seeing that someone is in a place of pain. How do we step into that space and do what we can to help? This seems to me to be, you know, it's it's not ideal. No. But it's better than drugs. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what oh, I see right here. Heaps. You know, your antipsychotic drugs, your um, sleeping pills, all that kind of stuff to try and stop you from having yeah. those nightmares. They're, they're pretty nasty stuff. Yeah. You know, they're better than they're better than being non-functional as a human being. Absolutely. And this one, I can see. Yeah, you might wake up a little bit more tired than what you normally would. But I can see the human body adapting to that and, you know, working its way through. Um, but it, you know, as, as I see it right here, I think that this is definitely better than drugs. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would prefer this over drugs any day. Fully. And I imagine that if you're having nightmares every night, which he was saying his dad was, um, even like even if you're waking up tired, I don't know. I don't imagine that you could be more tired than the emotional toll that that would take on you, you know, like. Because if I wake up from a bad... Oh, abs- yeah, yeah, for know. sure, for sure. You're going to be less tired. Yeah. For sure. But in okay, you know. And you won't be emotionally drained. That's right, that's right, yeah. yeah. I don't know, it's interesting. But anyway, hopefully his dad will get on or sort of... You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so new research study coming out of the University of Illinois. Uh, studied 1,500 men and 1,800 women and found that couples... Uh, who resist traditional or biblical gender roles are less happy. Okay, Mm -hmm. so basically um, couples with a wage gap where the man is the primary provider have lower depression and a lower divorce rate. Interesting. So that's really interesting because we're doing a lot of work to remove the pay gap, Mm. but it's actually not making our world a happier place. 
I'm just going to chuck in a little thing. Oh, I've got mini stirred <laughs> no, up now. This well, is going to be good. No, no. I was just thinking. So when I was growing up, it actually annoyed me greatly. But there would be like a bunch of guys who were like, yeah, we need a Proverbs 31 woman. And I'm like, okay, well, you be a godly man. Like, yes. but. That, Absolutely. But the biblical model, if we just look at that, is she had her own business too. Oh, she did. So she it's not about woman. being sole provider. No. No, and this is and this is something that the research brings out. Oh, okay. The research is not that women should be inactive or that women yeah, yeah, should yeah. be unemployed. the The research brought out that when the women, when the woman became the primary provider, yeah, right, right, there was a higher level of depression and a higher level of divorce on both sides, yeah, male and female. So it wasn't that the woman was becoming the primary provider, and okay, now I'm filling, I'm, I'm fulfilling my role, I'm in my niche. Um, and so she has less depression and, you know, the husband is feeling emasculated. That wasn't what was happening. Yeah. What was happening that both of them were becoming depressed and the divorce rates were going That's high. That's really interesting. Yeah, what, I found it fascinating. What was the pool of people that they kind of – like was it this – what am I even saying? Was it kind of the same demographic of people or was it kind of – It just says 1,500 out. men, 1,800 women. Okay. So, you know, that's a decent size. sample. still a solid amount of people. Yeah, there's yeah. a solid amount. Um, okay, let me see here. Um, yeah, so it, basically what it does is that it uh, defies the narrative that gender uh, interchangeability is the road to a happy life. Hmm. And, of course, all science does. Mm-hmm. The whole concept of gender interchangeability is purely ide- ideological. There is no science whatsoever. There is no piece of research that supports it. Mm. It's just ideology. It's like, well, this is what we want to be the re- real, so this is what we're going to believe is real because we want it to be real, but it's not. And um, one of the things that they noted with when the woman became the primary provider in the home, that men lost their sense of identity. So you know how it is with guys when guys get together and they start talking. Um, when they meet each other for the first time, one of the first questions asked is, "What do you do?" Mm. It's because men identify themselves by what they do, that's, which I that's do think right can there. be its own problem too, though. Like, right. no, in this, I'm not disagreeing with you, and I do think that is real. I definitely think that's real, but I also think that when we start to tie our identity to all these things, it creates big problems because when you lose that, like I was talking to a fella. It can be devastating. Um, exactly. Because your identity needs to be in Jesus Christ. Exactly. I agree with you. You pick up one from right. now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I was like. I, I definitely, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm like, but that can create its own Absolutely. set of problems. What are, I guess what the research is bringing out is that, um, you know, the, the, the biblical model of the man being provider and protector mm-hmm. in the home well, it still works, you know. Yeah, yeah. Six thousand years after God sort of started it that way, it still works. And the research always also brings out that this is not the case in many homes, and many people do it successfully mm. the other way round. Mm. Um, and so it's not this, this. This is a universal thing, not by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, we have all kinds of different families out there. We have great families where there are single parents. You know, I grew up in a single parent home. You grew up in a single parent home. Um, that you know, and we've got great families from all kinds of different kinds. Mm. But what they're saying is that the ideal, the lowest level of depression, um, and the lowest level of divorce comes from a traditional background, which is really significant in a time that we're seeing how prevalent anxiety and depression are. Yes, right? like that's right. We know this, and we need to look for every avenue that yeah. we can to avoid things like um, anxiety and depression. 
Uh, they did find that 30% of married women with children are not in paid employment. The, the, I added the word paid in there. Mm-hmm. Because the research said employment, and I'm like, no, that's not right. They are the principal of a private school. Yeah, <laughs> which is a pretty hectic job in itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. They're working harder than anybody else. Um, and that those out of the other 70% that are in paid employment, 70% of those uh, earn less than the father in the home. Hmm. And so, yeah, interesting. That's uh, we're struggling to get rid of that wage gap, and it might not is be that, as productive as we thought it should be. I, don't, I I agree with getting rid of the wage gap. By the way, is it less because it's actually less for the same job, or is it less because the hours worked are less? Yes, well, the uh, article didn't um, specify that, but okay. I would assume that the hours worked are less yeah. is, is the biggest issue right here because when you actually look at the pay gap, we have legislation so that, that doesn't actually uh, yeah, exist. Yeah. The pay gap exists at the extremes mm. um, when you get up into the CEO level. Right. It doesn't exist, f- you know, because we have wage legislation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm. you and I can't do the same job and you get paid less than me. That's illegal. Yeah. Uh, it's once you get into, you know, salaries and those kind of things that you start to get that uh, pay gap coming in there. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a, a story for a whole nother day. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I did say that I would speak a little bit about our fragile Australian ecosystem, and this is new research by um, the Australian Government Environmental Science Program. And we know that during the bushfires, we lost about two uh, billion native animals, mm, which was a tragedy. Huge. What isn't so well known is that every year, that was a drop in the bucket because every year we we lose 20 billion what? to native, to feral cats. <gasps> yes. So while we were all, oh, no, the fires have got them, actually. The cats are our big problem. Oh, And this new research, which has come out from the uh, uh, Government Environmental Science Program, for the first time has actually looked at the impact of domestic cats. Okay. Yep. Now, this has been super hard to research because a lot of the research we have on the habits of feral cats is because we catch them, we kill them, we cut their stomachs open, we examine their stomachs Ooh. and we find out, you know, what's been going on. And you can get fairly good research yep. because, like, okay, this is how much they've eaten in X amount of time. Right. And they have found feral cats that have had up to 50 native animals inside their stomach. Oh, wow. So that's a lot. That's so much. That's in a one lot cat. inside one cat. Hmm. Um, and so, of course, you can't actually do that with domestic cats. You know, just go no. and grab a cat off the street and cut its stomach open and, like, what have you been eating? No. <laughs> you would have very. So their, their research has been quite challenging. They've had to use GPS collars, uh, GPS and video collars, hmm. so they can see where their cats are and they can see what they're eating um, and scat analysis to be able to figure out what is going on. And they have found that uh, the average domestic cat, um, and 30% of all cats are confined, Mm. but even with that, so this is the average, the average domestic cat kills 110 native animals per year. Wow. So that's a lot. That's 230 million native animals a year in Australia, um, and uh, yeah, that, and that includes you know those that are probably confined and those too old, too old to hunt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Um, and so they also found that the idea that cats bring their kills home mm-hmm. is a myth. Eh? Yes, they very, very rarely do that. Um, and they kill up to 50 native animals. Uh, oh, sorry, where were we going here? 50 times, domestic cats kill 50 times more per square kilometre than feral cats. What? How does that work? Because they're more dense. Yeah, okay. They've, yeah. they've got... Um, yeah. So this was, uh, yeah, University of Queensland um, study has brought out that cats should only be kept inside and if they are outside, then that they should be kept in uh, contained runs. Um, and they found that uh, one in three of cats that were confined, that their believers, that, that their owners believed that they were confined, roamed at night. Yeah. And so basically what the study brought out is there is no such thing as a cat that is not outside of its home that is not killing a lot of native animals. Yeah. We used to I used to house share and our cat used to was meant to be confined and yet would regularly bring home rats. Yeah. I was like, How do you get out? You're in here all the time. Mm-mm. And it's a very small proportion of what it's actually yeah. doing. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Etienne McClintock from Voice of the Martyrs. Etienne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Thank you, Mooney. Can you hear me okay? Yep. All good. Coming through loud and clear. We had a little bit of trouble getting Etienne on the phone there a couple of minutes ago, but Mm. uh, coming through clearly now. Look, we're at the northern end of the Gold Coast at the moment. We've had so much rain, and I think it's affected telecommunications. Even the internet's a little bit slower at the moment. So, uh, But anyway, I'm glad you can hear me. Yes, indeed. Etienne, I understand there's been some fairly dramatic things happening with Voice of the Martyrs over the last month uh, in places like Indonesia and a young lady that was uh, was executed in Pakistan. Um, where should we start talking today? Well, look, uh, yes, there's been a lot of uh, unusual things happening, very aggressive things. Uh, we've had uh, churches uh, attack, people attacked in Indonesia, where uh, people with decapitated bodies were burned, a pastor was attacked, churches were burned, houses were burned. So uh, our operatives were uh, in the field, you know, in a matter of a short period of time to provide support and aid for these people. Of course, Indonesia is the biggest Islamic nation in the world. And there's a lot of aggression towards Christians. Certain pockets, you'd be okay. But from time to time, there's a lot of uncertainty whether you will actually be safe or not. But it's interesting, you know, when you look at the words of Jesus in regards to persecution, there's so much we can learn. Um, his last message to his disciples, you know, we've got the upper room experience there from John chapter 13 through to his prayer in John chapter 17. And that's all the night that he was arrested. And uh, if you look at John chapter 15, they're still part of the, the same sort of discourse there. He talks about the world hating you, and if the world hated you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then it actually basically says there in verse 21 of John 15 that uh, all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Obviously, they don't know God the Father. The word therefore know is Ado, which is a general knowing. You know, they've just ignored God. We see even Romans chapter 1, although they knew God, they did not retain God in their knowledge, but they became futile in their minds. And you see typically that mindset in the world where they do not like truth, they do not like the gospel, and no one likes to hear that they're wrong and that their, their steps are leading towards perdition and that God is calling them back to relationship with Him and back to repentance. But Jesus goes on there in John chapter 16, where he, does, he goes now from worldly persecution to religious persecution. 
And uh, he even says there in John 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Uh, yes, time will come that whoever kills you will think that he's offering God's service. And uh, I think this goes broader than just Christianity because you can look at other religions and uh, people who are extremists in Islam who are attacking uh, Christians all the time. And it says there in verse 3, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Now that word known there is not the same word as the word know in verse 21 of um, John 15, which is either, which is a general knowing. This is intimately knowing God. It's sort of like Joseph did not, Gnosko, um, he did not know his wife intimately until after Jesus was born, the Bible says. So it's really being in an intimate relationship with God, what Adam and Eve had before they sinned. And so we can see persecution there even from religious people. And our founder, Richard Wormbrandt, uh, made this statement. He said, not all of us are called to die a martyr's death, but all of us are called to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the very ends as the martyrs do. So, before we forget this morning, um, we just want to do a little bit of a gift. You know, 2021 is, is knocking on the door. I mean, we hope it's going to be better than 2020. Uh, but we have a prayer calendar that we would like to offer people. And uh, this prayer calendar is, is very nice. Every day it just asks you to pray for a particular nation and also for a particular issue in those nations. And then uh, each month actually has a little psalm or a little prayer or something written into it. So if people are interested in that, just to make sure that we can offer that to people at the end. And uh, I don't know, do we offer 10? I think 10 will be okay. We can offer it to the first 10 callers. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. We can offer it. Wonderful. Yeah, so, so give us a call right now. That. Call right now on 1-800-324-843, and we'll make those available to you for sure. Let's get them out there. Yeah, fantastic. I think we sell these for about $10 online, so they're free this morning. All they have to do is call you. Uh, but prayer is very important. The first thing that persecuted Christians ask us normally for is prayer. Mm. And then secondly, quite often, just a lack of resources. So they need Bibles, they want hymnals and that. So that's some of the things that we do as well. And we have... We have, of course, many people who distribute these at the, the uh, peril of their own lives. Uh, yeah, and you know, I, I wanted to just come back to that because you mentioned that in uh, just in the last couple of weeks in Indonesia, there were a bunch of people were killed, beheaded, murdered, churches burnt down, and so forth. And you know, it kind of feels like a long way away from us. But Australia is, you know, quite close to Indonesia. This is a country that's not too far away. And to hear about those kinds of things happening, people being murdered with machetes and so forth, is pretty confronting stuff. And yet you said that after those atrocities happened, you had operatives that went in there to provide assistance. And I'm assuming that those operatives are Christians themselves. That's right. That's right. Yes. So all the people that work for us obviously have to have the same mindset in regards to service uh, for those who are being persecuted. Our charter comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, where the word, uh, the word Bible says to remember those who are imprisoned mm-hmm. as if you chained with them, you know, those who are being mistreated. Uh, the word remember in the Bible is used uh, reasonably often. The King James Bible uses it 144 times. And uh, quite often God has got to rem- remind us of the things that are important that we tend to forget. The fact that we are all part of the body of Christ and that we love the Lord and we are intimate with God. You know, God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, will lead us into all truth. And those things that the Bible tells us to remember, like even the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, all those truths will come. I mean, there are many people who will postulate this and that, 
but they actually bring a construct to the Bible rather than letting the Bible speak for itself. And of course, it's very important for us when we are witnesses for Christ and witnesses for the truth that we have the boldness of the Spirit, you know, to empower our, our witness. But when people oppose it, because there's so much power in the message, in this truth, uh, they can get very aggressive and persecution, of course, can take on many forms of violence and ultimately people sometimes pay for their witness with their own lives. They are martyred for their, for their love and for their faith in Christ. Mm. And it's kind of amazing that you just mentioned before, Eddie, and that that's not the main thing that they're asking for. They're not actually praying, hey, uh, they're not asking for prayers that the persecution stops. You know, it's like they're well, after they're after Bibles and yeah, yeah. resources. Yeah, but look, this this is just absolutely fascinated me when I started working with persecuted Christians. So that's a that's an interesting question, many. I um I was surprised. You know, why don't they just ask for the persecution to cease? Um, but they realize that persecution actually uh, brings a sincerity to the church that you wouldn't otherwise have. Mm. And also, when people are prepared to lay down their life for something that they believe in that much. Uh, that is a powerful witness within itself that sometimes just words in themselves um, cannot express. So we often see that, you know, the, the blood of the martyrs are like seed. Um, the Tertullian that said that, I think. But it's, uh, it's fascinating that their first priority is the gospel, mm. and they leave all the consequences of sharing that in the Lord's hands, you know, where the Lord will spare their life, where they'll be thrown into prison. But, of course, we don't want to have a, a, a martyrs mentality where we think oh, no, uh, we're going to be careless. Jesus tells us there when he sends out the, the 12 disciples, he also does similar with the 70, that uh, beware because I send you out as sheep amongst the wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then he goes on to say, if they persecute you in one city, flee to another. So we are to be very wise in regard to this and not deliberately put ourselves in harm's way. Mm. But we do find from time to time that, you know, people will put themselves in dangerous situations, be as wise as they can under the circumstances, and um, and, and then there's the consequences with the Lord. And often we hear miraculous stories of people being shielded or they're smuggling in Bibles that people don't see the Bibles coming through with the X-ray machine even. Um, yeah, our own CEO, Tony Benjamin, has told a number of stories where he's personally even experienced that, where he's taken money in. I'm talking about substantial amounts of money, uh, like hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for the persecuted church because it's so difficult to get money in otherwise. And um, it just hasn't been seen in through the x-ray machine. So when people take risks, that's really when you see miracles happen and unusual answers to prayers. When you're not taking risks and you're praying for things, nothing happens. God wants us to be active. God wants us to test our faith and trust Him. Mm. And one of the best ways to actually exercise that faith and trust is to be active for the Lord, to love the Lord, to love His message. You know, there's a text there in Second Thessalonians chapter uh, two and verse ten, where it talks about those who receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and those who do not, God actually allows strong delusions to come upon them that they might believe a lie. So the only antidote for for deception and error, and also to avoid that even the very elect will be deceived is the truth of God. And of course, that's why we have persecution. Persecution is simply someone trying to shut down our witness for Christ. When you boil it down, every instance is always shutting down a witness for the truth of Jesus Christ, for his love, for his grace, for his forgiveness, and also the, the call to repentance. It was quite powerful during the week. I uh, had the privilege of 
um, sharing for Voice of the Martyrs um, prayer meeting um, a few nights back. And one of the things that just stuck out in my head was, you know, there was the lady, you know, because it's just a, a Zoom prayer meeting, and and you've just got this lady there who's just like any normal lady that you'd you'd meet any time and just have a conversation with, talking about having gone into this area in Indonesia where this persecution had taken place in very very recent times, and just sort of, it just really brought it home that you know she was she was there a, a couple of days previous to this, she was she was seeing what had happened, she'd gone in there to provide assistance. Um, she put her life on the line to do so. This is, you know, as you say, in the world's largest Islamic country. She's a woman and a Christian, and uh, and and yet being prepared to provide assistance where assistance was needed. And I was just really, really struck with the level of courage that Christians have who are living in these persecuted countries. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible, Lola. I mean, I'm so inspired by these people. As a matter of fact, her husband has been working with us for more than thirty years. Unfortunately, he passed away last year, but uh, with his son and his wife, his wife has picked up the mantle as well, and they continue to work in a very difficult uh, environment for Christians. Mm. You're so inspired by them. I and mean, look, at the stories from around the world, if you go onto our website, vom.com.au, there's uh, lots of stories. You can go and look at our blogs there. Um, you know, the impact that uh, COVID-19 has had on churches in Algeria, for example, just with, um, with them being shut. And then in Algeria at the moment, you know, even at the end of October, there were 183 mosques, mosques that were open in the Tizi Ozo province, and no Christian churches had been opened. And there were like 25 uh, Protestant churches here saying, listen, um, why haven't we been opened yet? But for the past uh, three years leading up to that, uh, the authorities have been waging a campaign against these Protestant churches, and 13 of them have been forcibly closed and others have received orders to cease all religious activities. So this is in Algeria. Um, in India, uh, there's been challenges with the virus restrictions involving the, uh, the opposition of Christians. And uh, that uh, is almost becoming India-wide now where people are being confronted a little bit more with opposition to the Christian worldview. There were places where there was a lot of freedom, and we typically worked in uh, eight, eight or nine of the provinces there. But, uh, you know, the challenges they face in India, for example, is four. Is, uh, they're not allowed to farm if they're a Christian, especially if they're a minority Christian village. Like if there's only three families in the village, uh, quite often they, they're not allowed to bring a income source for them. So they struggle. Where do they, they subsistence farmers? So where do they get their food and their income from? Um, they live in ongoing fear of uh, social excommunication. They're typically prohibited from uh, using the communal wells. So that's where we have to step in and provide water for them. And then also uh, their Christian activities are always closely monitored. And uh, they said if they have any activities or Christian activities in their house, they will be excommunicated from the, excommunicated from the village. Their property will be taken away. So it's really tough for a lot of Christians around the world. Mm, it is. And, you know, when you look at India, I think it illustrates a, a really important point because you've got 20 million Muslims over there that have just been stripped of their citizenship as well. Uh, that when we stand for religious liberty, we need to stand for religious liberty, not just you know, uh, our freedom as Christians, but everybody's freedom to worship according to the dictates of their conscience. Um, Absolutely. Yes. Go ahead. Just very quickly. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, look, when, when, when someone wants to practice a religion contrary to ours, we've got to support their rights to religious freedom. As long as their religion does not violate our responsibility to man. So basically what we'll say is the last six commandments. 
Uh, we do believe that the, the God has given governments authority to, to look after uh, our relationships to one another based on the last six commandments, but not on the first four. Our relationship with God is a personal matter. We should all personally stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and no man has the authority to step in and mingle in that relationship. God has not given that authority. We no longer live under theocracy. Theocracy was based on Israel. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Very important principle to know. Hey, Tim McClintock from Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.